Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. This is episode 27 of On Call with Dr. Randy. Wow, we're at 27 episodes. I didn't think I'd do this many. Maybe like 10, 15, but we're here. We're at episode 27. So shocking. Almost as shocking as me seeing Halloween Oreo cookies in Walmart the other day. I'm recording this in August and they're already putting out Halloween cookies. That makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. I mean, if next week, if I see some Christmas decorations on the shelf, I'm knocking Rudolph, Blitzen, Donner, all of the reindeers, I'm knocking them all off the shelf if I see Christmas decorations next week. It's too early to have Christmas decorations out. In my opinion, they shouldn't be out until November. I even get on this topic. Let, let me let me get on the right track. But once again, welcome back to On Call with Dr. Randy. In today's HPI, aka Healthy People Information, I'm discussing COVID-19 vaccinations in homebound patients. Do you know of a family member or a friend who is homebound? My dad recently told me about an aunt that he had and he never remembered coming out the house. Like he said she just sat on the porch and never came out the house from what he remembers as a child. You know somebody like that? Yeah, Sister Shirley. In a voice, you really know a Sister Shirley? Yep, I go pick up her Tide offering every week. I keep a little bit for myself out the Tide. So you're stealing from my old lady. No, I'm not stealing. It's a processing fee for me to go pay her Tides at church. So, no, not stealing. Call it whatever you want in a voice, but it's stealing. No, it's not. All right, whatever. So um, let's, let's get back on track. Unfortunately, homebound patients are sometimes our forgotten patients. So how have these patients been vaccinated? And what have been some of the challenges in getting these people vaccinated? Well, a recent article in the Family Practice News newspaper discussed these challenges. This is the same newspaper that I used to reference from my last episode discussing hospitalizations in children. There are many reasons patients are homebound. This could be from chronic illnesses, weight issues. You know, y'all see those people on My 600 Pound Life. Those are homebound patients, most of them, and dementia. According to this article, there are approximately two to four million homebound patients. And unfortunately, many of these people have not been vaccinated. Well, why should they be vaccinated? They're not going anywhere. Well, in her voice, most patients who are homebound are considered high-risk patients and have healthcare workers along with family members who are going in and out of their place of residence. They may not be going anywhere, but those people in and out of their house are going to various places and could potentially get infected and bring the virus back to the homebound individual. So it is highly imperative that these patients get vaccinated. However, it hasn't been that easy. It's been very challenging getting these people vaccinated. So let's talk about why. One of the challenges is transportation of the vaccine and the necessity for some vaccines, as we know, have to be given in multiple doses. So that's an added challenge. Pfizer and Moderna need to be kept at lower temperatures compared to Johnson & Johnson and require two doses. So it's already hard enough to get these people one dose. So then you have to give them two doses and you have to worry about the transportation of these vaccines at colder temperatures, 
which is not that easy. So initially it was easier just to give people the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Didn't have to worry about the temperature as much and it only requires one dose. However, as most people know, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has had some hiccups. Nah, don't sugarcoat it. It didn't have any gas problems. Okay, inner voice. Talking about it has some hiccups. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Okay, okay. It has some red flags that cause it to be put on pause for 10 days. So as a result, it made it harder for homebound patients to get vaccinated. This was earlier in the year, as we know, Johnson & Johnson got put on hold, so that made it harder to get homebound patients vaccinated. Another roadblock was that some people declined to be vaccinated once staff arrived. They simply changed their minds or they just didn't feel like getting it that day. So that became another roadblock. Essentially, you had vaccinations that went to waste or they had to find somebody quick and fast on the hurry to give them that dose so it wouldn't go to waste. And one last major roadblock is having access to get a vaccination. Some medical practices don't provide home visits or some patients live in rural areas which don't have access to someone providing vaccines. So they may be out of luck or may have to be driven long distances to get vaccinated, which may not be safe for them to do. At the onset of the vaccination rollout, the CDC didn't give much guidance on how to vaccinate homebound patients, according to this article. Health systems, cities, and patients were left to essentially just figure it out on their own. These industries eventually went to the CDC and said, hey, we need some help over here trying to get these homebound patients vaccinated. They're high risk. They have people coming in and out of their house. We need some help finding them and getting them vaccinated and eventually the CDC did provide some guidance on how to get these individuals vaccinated. The guidance included working with people of the community to find those homebound unvaccinated patients. These included partnering with veterans groups, churches, and home health care agencies. So agencies reached out to these groups to find those individuals and get them vaccinated. So that's part one of vaccinations in homebound patients. This week's interview guest is pharmacist Dr. Crystal Bill. Dr. Crystal Bill attended undergraduate school at Clayton State University and pharmacy school at the University of Georgia, where she was active in several organizations. She held the positions of service chair for Phi Delta Chi Pharmacy Fraternity and service chair for the UGA chapter of the Student National Pharmaceutical Association. She was even inducted into Phi Lambda Sigma Pharmacy Leadership Society in recognition of her service efforts. Dr. Bill is big in giving back to the community and is very active. I'm always proud of all the stuff that she does in the community. I've even worked with her on some projects. She's a good friend of mine and I support everything that she does. She currently works as a pharmacy consultant for a major pharmacy benefit manager while running her own clean beauty business through Beauty Counter. Dr. Bill and I will discuss what made her go into pharmacy school, the different routes a pharmacist can take in their career, and what you need to know regarding your medication. What do you need to know about what's on the bottle, what things you should ask the pharmacist, 
what I don't know as a physician, I don't know what color your med is. I don't know if it's blue, red, purple, green, yellow. When you tell me the blue pill, these are things I don't know. So we will get into that. So you as a patient will know what you need to know about your medication. Next week, we'll get into our beauty product line. So look out for that episode to drop next week. So let's get into the interview with pharmacist, Dr. Crystal Bill. All right, so welcome to another great episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. I have another fellow doctor with me today. I have Dr. Crystal Bill, pharmacist, aka legal drug dealer, who's here to share some good information about what it's like being a pharmacist. And we're going to talk about her beauty skincare line. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Bill. All right, so what made you go into pharmacy? Um, so I've always wanted to work in healthcare. Like I knew early on that I wanted to work in healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. Originally, I wanted to be a physician. Um, but in 11th grade, when I was in um, high school, I was in a program called HOSA. Um, it stands for Health Occupation Students of America. And they had someone come in and talk about like the top 10 career careers in healthcare at that time. Um, and pharmacy was one of them. And I hadn't actually, actually never considered that um, as a profession. But um, I feel like it attracted me because they talked about how, you know, you need to be strong in math. You know, I like the, you know, idea of having more of direct patient contact. Like you're right there, you're easily accessible, um, especially mm-hmm. if you're working in like the retail chains. And I'll be honest, when they said, hey, you can finish in as little as six years, I was like, OK, come out still making, you know, a good amount of money. <laughs> I was like, OK, so. hey, And so I just felt like it sounded like me in terms of personality, in terms of math involved and, you know, just being able to have a more personal, personable aspect without having to deal with like, you know, bodily fluids. So that was important. To you. <laughs> you don't want to deal with the bodily fluids like you don't want to deal with the bodily fluids. Uh. <laughs> oh, I don't deal with them that often, but I do deal with them enough. <laughs> <laughs> so after, like, tell a little bit about your journey as what, what did it take for you to become a pharmacist? Yeah. So, um, so pretty much I'm the kind of person I like to research stuff, make sure I'm making the right decision. Like I carefully think everything out. Um, so what I wanted to do first is I wanted to land a position working in a pharmacy. Um, so what I did is I, um, like I said, I was involved in HOSA. They introduced me to pharmacy. Um, so my next step was applying for a pharmacy technician role because I wanted to see what it was like before I spent all my time in school. So what I did is, um, at Clayton state, luckily they had like a career fair. Um, and it just so happened that when I was coming out the library, there was a table for Walgreens. Um, and I had been looking, 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 you know, trying to get a position as a technician. And so they were opening up a brand new Walgreens. I'm not that far away. And that's the first table I ran into when I came out the library. And so the guy, he was like, hey, you know, we're opening a new store. Would you be interested in working at Walgreens? And I was like, well, only if I can work in a pharmacy. And so that just kind of that ended up falling into place. So I was like, OK, that's one sign of like confirmation. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I started off working. I wanted to learn about it. And then I maintained, um, you know, working there until I got ready ready to apply for pharmacy school. I did enjoy um, working in the Walgreens and having that experience and the people I worked with. So so those uneducated, what specifically does a pharmacy tech do? What does a yeah, pharmacy so, tech do? Yeah, so um, pharmacists rely heavily on pharmacy technicians. They assist us with a lot of things, primarily like patient check-in, patient check-out, uh, filling prescriptions, inventory, like the technicians play a huge role in everything we do. So, um, so you know, we really rely heavily on them. Okay. Okay. So I know there's more than just the typical pharmacist that most people know working in Walgreens or working in CVS. We're going to throw it back to the old days of Eckert's when they used to be uh, prescribing medication. (laughs) (laughs) There's not that many people know about Eckert's. (laughs) I'm saying my age a little bit now. 
But uh, so what are the different uh, areas of pharmacy can a uh, pharmacist work in? Yeah, so um, some of the different areas. So right now I'm in the area of managed care. And so managed care is kind of more on the business side of healthcare. Um, you're not having direct patient contact, but you're still interacting with customers. You're helping them with things like adherence, like making sure they're not running out of their medication, making sure their refills are filled on time, uh, making sure they're taking advantage of benefits, like getting like 90 day supplies, which will reduce their trips to the pharmacy and also um, encourage them to be more adherent to their medication because they already have it in stock. Um, so there's like managed care, um, which you can do for like an insurance plan. Um, there's also, you can work for an industry, actually. I know quite a few pharmacy, pharmacists that work in industry. So like for pharmaceutical companies, there's like Eli Lilly, um, you know, things of that nature, Pfizer, you can, um, you know, work in industry. And you can also work in like, you know, government as well. I have a pharmacist friend that works for the FDA. So there's actually a lot of different roles out there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just really kind of about find, finding what attracts you the most. So. Right, right. I also know some of y'all can work in a hospital too. Yeah, hospital, definitely. Hospital, yeah. So there's different settings and it's definitely grown since when I first started. So Right, right. And we do depend on y'all heavily, especially in the hospital. There are things that mm -hmm. we as physicians know how to do, um, but there are also things that we don't know how to do with certain dosages of medications. And just mm -hmm. to kind of give people a peek behind the curtain, the pharmacists have a tremendous job and role in the hospital helping us de deliver great care to give the right, right proper medication, especially with antibiotics. I know it's been sometimes when putting in certain orders. And I'm like, I think I put it in right, but let me call the pharmacist to make sure. And they'll say, no, you need to do this or do that or manage it this way and not give so, give so much medication. It all helps us to work together properly. Yeah, as a team, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. Is there any particular area that you have preferred working in since you started your initial journey? Um, so I actually like, what I will say is I like community from the aspect of, I really felt like I was a community pharmacist. I was pharmacy manager at Walgreens for um, about three, three and a half years. And just, I like the community sense from connecting with the customers. Like I would have customers that would stop by just to show me pictures from vacation, mm -hmm. you know, just to say, hey, you know, um, so I felt like I really developed some good relationships. So I, I enjoyed that. Um, but one thing I also have kind of been interested in is like senior care. Like when I did rotations, I really enjoy it. Like I, I love like helping like the seniors and um, the early population. And I think it's always something like entertaining about working in like the senior facilities. So I think that's a really interesting. Um, you like helping well. Big Mama. <laughs> yeah, or the guys that'll just be saying random stuff. It's just it's always entertaining. I'll say that. So. <laughs> I know they probably, uh, the older guys trying to flirt with you uh, across the counter and stuff. Hey. They'll say some funny stuff, yeah. Yeah, they'll, it'll be interesting. So I, I've heard some things. <laughs> <laughs> heard some things. But I enjoy that. Seen some things. I, yeah, but I, I really enjoy helping the older population because they they tend to be the most vulnerable and they need the most help and they don't mm -hmm. always have people available. Like they'll have, you know, family members that are working or away or, you know, so they tend to be kind of like the most vulnerable. So I really enjoy helping the older right, population. Right, right. Uh, do you have any suggestions as far as the older population, how they can do best to keep track of their medications, what they're taking and um, proper time and of taking medications? Yeah. And so that's actually what I do in my role with managed care, like primarily the people that we speak with. Um, I work as a consultant pharmacist. So all day long, what I'm doing is talking to people, especially older people, um, people on Medicare. And what we're doing is making sure they understand how they take their medication, what they take it for 
we're checking for things like um, dose discrepancies, you know, based on how we see it's being billed. And then they, they sometimes tell us they're taking it differently. Um, we check for cost savings opportunities. Um, we check for high risk medications. There's something called the beers list, um, which is a criteria um, that shows which medications can, tend to be maybe more harmful um, mm -hmm. in the older population. So we check for things like high risk medications um, and then we make recommendations and make send information to, um, you know, so send information about that. So, um, so yeah, so that's one way having, you know, the pharmacist available, like what I do, you know, we call and talk to people all day long, making sure they have that time that they may not get when they're, you know, um, maybe in the doctor's office or at the mm -hmm. pharmacy. So. Right. And who kind of sets that up? Is the insurance company set that up for the patient to yeah. talk to you or do they have to reach out to you, someone like you on their own? Um, they don't have to reach out on their own, but we're always available. But typically it's set up like Medicare basically. So MTMs, medication therapy um, management services. So they will Medicare will pay for at least one every year. And so, you know, you basically can pull the patients up and, you know, they can be identified. Usually the plans will, you know, of course, identify the members on our plan. So like I work for um, Anthem, which is a lot of people know as Blue Cross Blue Shield can be another name for it, but Anthem. Um, and they also have their own pharmacy management, benefit management company called Ingenio Rx. Basically all insurance in a nutshell. So all of our Anthem patients, we reach out to and make these phone calls. If they're identified to possibly be on like, you know, a high risk medication or if there's been like gaps in therapy, things of that nature. So, so we primarily reach out, but they should also know that your pharmacist is always available as a resource. And there's a lot of even community chains now that will have like um, services like 24 seven access to a pharmacist, you know, if you need it and things of that nature. So, so there's always somebody usually available. So. Okay. Okay. So y'all primarily, primarily reach out to them uh, right. to kind of go over these things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's just kind of take that kind of continuing on and just use this example because I'm trying to figure out how best to help people who may be listening to this and maybe taking care of some like one of their older parents. Let's just say they're mm -hmm. taking care of Big Mama and Big Mama's memory is not as good as it was previously. A lot of mm -hmm. complaints or not complaints, but a lot of stories that I've heard before, especially when I've gotten called overnight is, oh, my grandmother accidentally took her nighttime dosage this morning. So she's done something. Take essentially she's taken her medication twice and she shouldn't have. What are the some some of the best ways that some people who are taking care of their older uh, parents or older grandparents can help manage their medication? Um, so I mean, I would definitely say having those essentially the community pharmacist, having those conversations with the community pharmacist, you know, if you know that your um, you know, your mom or your dad um, goes to a certain pharmacy on a regular basis. Um, I would love it when people come in and they introduce themselves and you get to know the family because that's what we're there for every single day for you to be able to ask those questions. I would get that question a lot. Oh, you know, they took this medication or should I skip it since I made a mistake and took it twice or what do I do um, since I forgot to take it? And so that's what the community pharmacists are there for. Like the retail pharmacists are there, you know, um, to take care of that. Um, like I was saying too, a lot of the, some of the chains now actually have 24 seven access. So that's another way, you know, just reach out. It's literally just a matter of a phone call, just coming mm -hmm. into the pharmacy or calling the pharmacy or, you know, I mean, that's pretty much in a nutshell, which all you have to do is just reach out, just a phone call away. Okay, cool, cool. So what are some of the things that people should know when they're taking their medication specifically, besides knowing what color their medication is? A lot of people, when they come see me, Oh, I'm taking the green pill or I'm taking the blue pill. I'm like, I, I don't know what pill is the green pill and what pill is the blue pill. <laughs> when I went to medical school, we didn't have a test over which color the pills were. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like number one, people need to understand why they're taking it and what they're taking it for. Like, it's still so surprising how many people I talk to that they'll just tell me, well, I'm just taking it because the doctor gave it to me, you know, mm-hmm. and um, oh, I don't really know what it's for. I just, you know, this was given to me or my caretaker is just, you know, so definitely understand why you're taking a medication because you should know, like, what what am I putting this in my mouth for, you know? And then two, um, they should know, like, how to identify two if they're taking the correct thing because how you you were talking about color, things like that. And so what I try to let people know, especially if they get their medications in a prescription vial, or even if the bottle is labeled, when we put the prescription label on it, there's usually like identifiers on the label, like usually on the left or the right, it will show like, if you have the right, correct medication, it will tell you what it should look like. If it's, you know, should it be oval, you know, what shape it is, it'll tell you what should be on the imprint. So it'll tell you if it's supposed to say like CB on one side and like one, two, three on the other side. You know, and so you got to look out for those things. That's always glance at that before you, you know, you take it out because, you know, as much as possible, we try to make sure everything is being dispensed correctly. Um, But, you know, it's it's very busy, busy sometimes when humans just like everybody else, mistakes can happen, you know, so just take a quick glance, you know, look, make sure it has your name on the bottle. First of all, that is your medication, because that does happen. People can be sold the incorrect medications and, you know, you hate that you, you, you know, you hate for that to happen, but that's the reality. So make sure your name is on the bottle. Um, take a glance at the name of the drug. If it doesn't sound like something the doctor told you you were supposed to be taking, don't take it. And then take a glance at the descriptor, description before you pull it out and put it in your mouth. Um, I think they should also um, understand um, when they're having a reaction to a medication, like an adverse effect to a medication, because sometimes I'll have people calling and they're, you know, talking about like, you know, describing a rash breaking out or describing bumps or something like that. And I'm like, that's an allergic reaction. So, you know, because sometimes people still get confused about like side effects versus allergic reaction. So so understand what the medication is, what you're taking it for, how to identify that you're taking the right thing and how to identify like you're having an adverse effect, I would say. So. Right, right. And then with every medication, does it come with a little packet that describes typical side effects that they may have being on the medication? Yeah, Yeah, they always come with like a um, leaflet that talks about like different side effects and what to expect, you know, and ideally, you know, some of that is talked about, you know, when you're at the pharmacy, but if not, that is another resource. If you just open up the label that's attached to the bag, it will also share information about what the medicine is for. Okay. Okay. So I don't know how often that happens, but I know, I think the last time that I went to go get some sinus medication, the pharmacist actually came to the front and asked me, did I have any questions? I wanted to mm-hmm. review the potential side effects. And I was like, no, but I found it very surprising that they actually d- did that and came and asked me if I had any questions. Does that happen often that pharmacists do that? Or did I just look up that day and they had some extra time to, <laughs> to run to the front? Well, no, it's pretty standard for us to ask if you have any questions. And if it's not verbally asked, sometimes it'll be electronically asked, like when you're signing that you picked up the medication, but it's pretty standard pack- practice for people to ask, like, did you have any questions at least, you know? Mm-hmm. So you may always, you may not always have the pharmacist come over specifically and ask, and so maybe just the cashier ringing you out or the technician, but mm-hmm. ideally, you know, that is supposed to happen. So Okay. Okay. So the cashier may come and ask me, you good, bro? Like, all right. Right. Yeah. Pharmacist <laughs> back there. Busy, busy, busy. So just uh, kind of give people an idea of the logistics of how medications are filled. Let's give an example of how the process goes and why they don't get their medication as quick and fast as they think they're going to get it when they come to see you at the pharmacy. So we'll just use an example of, let's just say, 
Jarvis. We'll use my homeboy Jarvis. He'll listen to this later and crack up because I'm using him in this, as an example. Let's just say he has a rash. We'll say he has high blood pressure. We'll throw that out there. He doesn't have high mm-hmm. blood pressure, but we'll say he has high blood pressure. I prescribe him a medication. He's like He asked me at his visit, when can I get the medication? Me, as a good physician, I will tell him I have done my job and I've just sent it through the computer and it's up to the pharmacist now to refill the medication. So how do you receive it on your end and what's kind of the steps after that um, to get the medication filled? Yes, I wish there could kind of be like a show that shows what goes on behind the counter because (laughs) even though I'm not in retail community pharmacy anymore, it's a lot of layers involved. And so, you know, people sometimes still believe you just walk up and you just put a sticker, you just like, you know, slap a label on it and that's it. And that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. So we receive prescriptions in different ways. It can be faxed over. It can be sent electronically. Some doctors will do the ERXs, which is actually preferred because it comes over more clear. I haven't seen your handwriting, Randy, but sometimes it's really hard. (laughs) Sometimes the prescriptions are delayed because I can't understand what is on this paper. So (laughs) So I'll I'll tell you later while we have bad handwriting. (laughs) I think I'll start to get there, but and I know <laughs> but yeah, so either the patients can drop them off, we'll fa- get them faxed over or sent electronically. Um, so the first step is check-in. You know, usually the technicians will do this. We want to make sure we have the right patient, you know, make sure their profile is up to date, make sure their insurance is up to date. Then when we process it in, there's also other medications throughout the whole day that are being um, filled as well. So, you know, sometimes we try as much as possible to have waiters, but that may not be the case because literally prescriptions are coming so many different ways. Like I told you, fax, ERX, call-ins, voice, you know, voicemails. So there's so many different, you know, ways that prescriptions are coming in. Um, then we have to check and make sure that, you know, based on your allergies you have on file, make sure that you're not prescribed something that could potentially, you know, cause a bad reaction for you. So sometimes it's delayed because we will see, okay, you're allergic to this. I have to make a phone call to the doctor. Another uh, reason why medication could be delayed is because of the price or it's not something that's preferred by the insurance plan. And so I would get all the time like, well, why would my doctor write it if it's not covered? And I try to explain that they're right and, you know, making a recommendation based on what they feel like will treat you best, but they're not aware of what is on your prescription, you know, formulary, like what's covered. And so Mm -hmm. that sometimes is kind of a, you know, a challenge when patients are not understanding why something was written that wasn't covered. And so, you know, we just let them know, hey, we we just had to either, you know, reach out to the doctor, see if they can get it changed, you know, or see what other options are available. So sometimes it's held up because of um, insurance purposes. And so, you know, you know, there's just so many things that can cause a prescription to be delayed. And so once it finally can go through the system, and like I said, we're checking to make sure it's the right patient, making sure it goes through the insurance, making sure it doesn't interact with anything they're taking, um, then it has to be filled. So, you know, it comes out, we have to fill it. um, And then the last process is making sure you have the right thing before we bag it up. So, you know, we have to check and make sure that the product is correct, that, you know, you get in what you need. Um, you know, sometimes I'll put additional notes or I'll block it from being rung out at the computer if I feel like it's something that is important that the patient really needs to know about it or if it's their first time taking something or, you know, so so that's, you know, a couple of different reasons why it can be held up or take a little bit longer. On top of the prescriptions being filled, you know, there's flu shots going on, there's other immunizations because now at the pharmacy we'll do pneumonia and shingles and even, you know, hepatitis, like we do all, you know, types of immunizations. We also do screenings, like blood pressure screenings, things of that nature. Um, we're having to do inventory stuff. We're having to do adherence stuff. So we're making phone calls to patients, reminding them to pick their medications up. You know, it's, it's just a lot of things going on behind. So, you know, 15 minutes, you know, we try to get it out, but it's a lot going on in that process. So <laughs> behind the scenes. 
Right, right. It's more than just pharmacists putting the pills in the bottles or Mm -hmm. giving syringes. They're doing a whole lot more stuff overall. And part of it is just the industry and the business. Um, Companies like Walgreens and CVS are trying to find new ways to generate revenue, I would Mm -hmm. think. And so that's why they're getting into that business of doing immunizations, doing the blood pressure, Mm -hmm. pressure checks and other things. And MTMs as well, medication therapy management. So those are complete medication reviews that we're also expected to do in between all of that. And those can take anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes to an hour where you're doing complete reviews, making sure people understand what they're taking, what it's for, checking for, you know, high risk medications and things of that nature. So even that in between everything else. So. All right. And just to go back on something you kind of touched on a little bit about, maybe you can explain it better for people formulary and non-formulary. So basically, essentially, when you sign up for an insurance plan, um, there's a list of drugs that are automatically approved, meaning if you had like a a prescription for it, you wouldn't have any issues or wouldn't be held back in any type of way from you getting it filled. Um, And so if it's not on your formulary, that means that it's not on your pre-approved list of medications. And now it's not to say that if, you know, if it's not pre-approved already on that pre-approved list, you can't get it. What may happen is there has to be an additional step. It's usually called um, like a prior authorization. And what that is, is the physician can um, fill out some paperwork and attempt to send it over to the the insurance company. And then they'll take a look at it and decide whether or not they want to cover it. It could be because maybe the patient, you know, isn't able to tolerate what they already have approved or they've already tried those things and have failed the therapy. So in that instance, it is possible to still have the medication approved. But um, again, that would take additional time. So Right, right. So there are certain drugs that your health insurance will pay for. And there's other drugs that your health insurance may not pay for. And there's a list of those drugs that your insurance will pay for. But this list can constantly change. It can change maybe like once a year or maybe can change every couple of months. Exactly. we, We as physicians, we may not know this on our end. So. One of the examples that I learned when, during my residency training was just allergy medication for children. So it may be one month that they may co- a particular insurance may cover Claritin, and then two, three months later, they may not cover Claritin anymore and they cover Zyrtec. And so we as physicians, we may not know until we send in the medication, and then you may call us and tell us that it's not covered, or we may get something in the mail or via fax like a week or a month later telling us, hey, you tried to prescribe this medication and now it's not covered. And so then they will want justification on this medication. Okay, you want this patient to have Zyrtec where have they tried Claritin? Did it work? Did it not work? How long did they try it for? Those are the things that we have to do on our end that you might not know. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right, so, and just also kind of to talk about recalls of medication too. So a lot of people come to see me, they may say, oh, I've seen this or I heard this on the news, metformin was recalled or, oh, this blood pressure medicine was recalled. And just the process of what do, um, the process of recalling medication, because every time a drug isn't necessarily recalled, is recalled everywhere. So can you touch on that a little bit for yeah, so um, every time you get a prescription filled, um, so there's usually, so there's two numbers. There's like a what's called an NDC number, and that's like a set of numbers that identifies what the drug is. And then on the bottle where your medications are poured from, it'll also have what's called a lot number. And the lot number is just a set of numbers 
that identifies like the batch that the medication was made out of. And so just because you may hear that your medication has been recalled, it may not necessarily be the batch that was impacted. And so you sh- you know shouldn't automatically get alarmed. Um, and the best way to find out is, of course, just speaking to your pharmacist where the uh, prescription was dispensed, because they'll typically have track of, you know, the NDC number that was used, what drug was actually filled. So, again, the NDC identifies what medication um, and also um, the pharmacy will have, you know, track of the manufacturer. The manufacturer will also be on your bottle. But and then to the lot number, the pharmacy, the pharmacy can sometimes track the lot number, but it depends. We go through so much medication that sometimes these bottles are like heavily you know, rotating a lot. And that's just being honest, like we may not have the original bottle. Some patients do get the original stock bottles because a lot of medication comes in like a pack of 30 or a pack of 90. So they may have the original bottle. And in that case, the lot number is on it in the NDC. Uh, But if not, just call the pharmacy. And usually whenever there's a recall, like there'll be a process. Sometimes they'll say, hey, you know, you can, um, you know, you may be able to reach out to the manufacturer, see what they will be willing to do in terms of maybe replacing it. Um, Another place you can check is um, the FDA does have a website, fda.gov. You just Google drug recall and you put the name of your medication in there and it'll bring up like, you know, with what was specifically recalled, what date it was. Um, and also it'll tell like what manufacturer. So again, your manufacturer is typically on your bottle, usually usually directly under the drug name. And you can just kind of glance on that. Uh, but again, just run it by the pharmacy because the pharmacy may have record of, you know, the, the lot number and the NDC number. So Okay. All right. Yeah. So like she mentioned, always checking to make sure the manufacturer of the drug. The way I like to describe it to patients is if you get your medicine from Walgreens, they may get it from factory A. And if you get it from CVS, they may get it from factory B. And factory A may be the problem who's having the problem making the medication, but not necessarily factory B. So your medication may be okay and because you get your medication from CVS and not necessarily Walgreens in that example. So make sure you're calling your pharmacist um, to get the proper information from them. What are the typical places people can go that provide some good resources of their medications, like side effects and other things? Yeah. And so um, so there's a website called drugs.com, actually. They have like um, really simple. easy to understand information. It's simple. Yeah. Drugs.com. Um, another one I like, but it's a little bit more like a little bit more detail. But if you're wanting more details or more like comprehensive information, um, there's something called Daily Med. Um, that's actually the, uh, created by the National Institutes of Health, which is a large health organization. So if you're wanting something, I actually think they make the the FDA information that goes inside of the label. So if you want a more like comprehensive medication, I think it even has a pill identifier and everything on it. Daily Med is a really good resource. So. Okay. All right. So y'all make sure to look that up, drugs.com and dailymed.com. Those are some good resources so you can learn the good things that your medication does and also the potential side effects. What as physicians can we do better to make your job easier as a physician on our end? <laughs> I know that's a loaded question. You probably like, man, where do I start? <laughs> um, well, I think number one, like you know, we're all about being a team, all about working together. If you have an opportunity, or if your institution allows for electronic prescribing, that would be amazing. Because one of the challenges we run into too, when we we're talking about earlier about prescriptions being delayed, is we can't make out some of the handwritings. Like I don't understand. Like it li- some of them will literally look like symbols. So if there's so, an option, so for here's the deal. My my <laughs> prescriptions are sent electronically, so y'all don't have to read my handwriting. 
But I, I learned, that's I've amazing. learned as I progressed along, my handwriting has got a little worse because I'm so busy. I'm so trying to think of the next step. So when I'm signing Randy, I'm doing the R and I'm already thinking about the N and I haven't even done the A. So I'm just scribbling so fast. Like, let me just hurry up and get this over with because I don't have time for stupid stuff like signature. Yeah, and I had some practices. I know they would get tired of us calling, and it seemed like at one some point you would get tired of us calling and just swap out. But but yeah, so electronic prescribing is awesome because you don't have to worry about like you know too many discrepancies. Everything is just clearly laid out. Um, I also would say in terms of you know you know I know you guys are not knowing what's going on, all the things that goes on behind the pharmacy. But sometimes we'll have patients come and say, "My doctor told me what we get be ready when I got here." Now I don't know if you guys are actually saying that or if they are just saying that or they're old, but we have patients saying that. Doctor said it'd be ready when I get here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm just like, well, <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on behind the counter. So we need to manage expectations on that. Right? Okay. That's yeah, so, mm-hmm. Honestly, if you just let the patient know, just give the pharmacy a call before you go or something like that. That could help too, because you know, it, it's not probably not going to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but other than that, everything, you know, else, you know, I mean, it's just about working together. It's not too many issues as it relates to, you know, prescribers okay. or anything like that. Okay. I've been trying to do better on my end with especially that number two thing you just uh, named. And then also, let's just say I've sent a medication and the patient may tell me, oh, no, I wanted to go to this other pharmacy and I've already sent it to the first one. I at least try to ask my medical assistant, Nyjah, if she's listening. Shout out to Nyjah. She's very great. Mm. But I always ask her to call the other pharmacy and cancel it so y'all won't bottle the uh, medication. Yeah. Um, And then as it relates to non-medication things, even because we fill stuff like tests and supplies, like the, the, you know, the test strips, the lancets, Mm -hmm. you know, blood glucose machines, all of that. It helps if you guys don't put anything specific, because then it would just be a headache if, say, because there's different brands, like there's Freestyle, there's like AccuCheck, there's OneTouch, and every every plan seems to prefer something else, you know. And so sometimes not being as specific when it comes to like things like that, if you just put blood glucose machine, test strips, you know, no name on it, then we don't have to bother y'all about simple stuff like trying to swap it out. Because believe it or not, if you put a specific name, then we do have to bother you guys and make an extra phone call about changing to what's preferred. So, you know, it seemed like we'll be able to just swap, but that's not the case. So, you know, you don't have to be as specific about like tests and supplies and things like that. Or if you put something even inhalers, because that was another issue too, with swapping between the Ventolin, the Provental, you know, mm-hmm. Pro-Air, things like that. Like, you know, we're not, some places we're not technically supposed to like, you know, swap it without calling you guys. So I love it when doctors would send over fill Pro-Air and then in like the notes section on the ERX, they'll put or whatever is preferred by plan. Like, I love that because you're already giving me opportunity not have to you know bug you guys again just something easy fix you know i'm I'm making notes over here myself what i need to do like all right she's calling calling me out yep Mm -hmm. i'm over here doing that stuff she's telling me not to do so That's it for part one of the interview with pharmacist Dr. Crystal Bill. She provided some great information for both patients and physicians. I mean, I learned some stuff, some stuff that I probably should have known, but she educated me. So we're both learning here. Next week, we'll discuss her skincare product line. 
You can look for it on her IG page or her website in the show description if you want to kind of get ahead of next week's episode to see what she has available. If you have a homebound family member or a friend, reach out to local community groups to find out have they partner with any groups doing vaccinations. That'll be the easiest way that you can get them vaccinated. You may have to do some digging, but it will be worth it to go that extra mile to make sure that person gets vaccinated. If you're concerned about them having an allergic reaction, go back and listen to the episode where I discuss COVID vaccinations and side effects. These episodes were in late March and early April. So go back and listen to those episodes if you want more information on possible side effects from getting vaccinated. They're very rare, but I want you to be educated on what the potential side effects can possibly be. We're coming to the end of season one of On Call with Dr. Randy. Don't cry. Don't cry. I know. I know. I'm getting emotional too. I think I'm going to stop at about episode 30, then come back for season two, which hopefully will have some sponsors. So if you want to be a sponsor, please send me an email or reach out to me via social media so we can get you lined up to be a sponsor. Be sure to rate, like, and share this podcast with others. Thank you to all my listeners, especially in Finland and Costa Rica. Worldwide, baby. PA Worldwide. I don't know why I said that, but yeah, we're worldwide over here. Everyone in Louisiana, stay safe from the hurricane. Praying for all my friends and family members and those I don't know in Louisiana who may be affected by Hurricane Ida. Y'all stay safe out there. And as always, I'll see you next week. Have a safe Labor Day weekend. Listen to the new Drake. And as always, stay healthy physically and mentally.